Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair. My name is Gabrielle and this is the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder. Okay, so our murderess of the week is known as Jane Toppin. She was thought to be at first one of America's first female serial killers, but we know now that that's not factually true. She is known as wanting to be the woman who wanted to kill the most people the most helpless and feeble of people of any man or woman to have ever existed. Jane Toppin was born Honora Nora Kelly in around 1857 in Boston. Her parents were Irish immigrants and her mother Bridget died of tuberculosis when she was a young child. Her father Peter was rumored to be a crackpot to the point of being known as Kelly the Crack. He was oftentimes the source of many rumors concerning his insanity, the highlight of which included him sewing his own eyelids closed while working as a tailor. Ew, okay, that makes my eyes feel weird, and I hope it's one of those exaggerated stories because I cannot imagine someone actually doing that to themselves. Okay, moving on to quickly forget that visual. Around the early 1860s, Kelly brought his two youngest daughters, Delia, who was eight, and Honora, six, to the Boston Female Asylum. Now, this was an orphanage for young girls that was founded in 1799. No records for the Kellys existed for the duration of their time at the orphanage, but it seems that there are documents of their arrival saying the girls were rescued from, quote, a very miserable home. Less than two years after having arrived, Honora was sent to work with the Toppin family in Massachusetts. She took their last name as her own, even though she was never officially adopted, and soon became known as Jane Toppin. Unfortunately for her sister Delia, she remained in the institution until 1868, where she was placed as a servant in New York at 12 years old. She would later turn to prostitution and die of alcoholism. When Jane turned 18, she was officially freed from her responsibilities at the Toppin household. She was given $50 to begin her life and also graduated from high school. However, she chose to remain with the family that she was placed with and work as a servant until her adoptive mother, Anne, died. And Anne's daughter married and left home. She then went to Boston and attended Cambridge Hospital so she could train to be a nurse. She was 33 years old at this time, and it was here that she earned her nickname Jolly Jane due to her friendly and outgoing personality. However, despite her initial jolly demeanor, most of the other students soon grew to hate her. See, she would oftentimes tell these exaggerated stories that were complete and obvious lies, like the Tsar of Russia had offered her a nursing job, but she had refused because she didn't want to leave Boston. She would also become hostile and double down on those lies whenever she was confronted about them. Many items around the hospital and things that belonged to the other students tended to go missing after she'd been in certain rooms and areas, which also didn't help her build any relationships among the other staff or students there. She had an obsession with autopsies that worried the hospital administration, but ultimately they couldn't find anything to stop her from completing her training. It's unfortunate because there were things there that were happening that if they had been caught at the time would have saved a lot of people their lives and a lot of misery. In other words, the hospital did not find out that she was experimenting with morphine and atropine on her elderly patients. While working as a student nurse, she also falsified the medical records of her patients to keep them in the hospital longer. That way she can get to know them better. 
It's estimated that she killed at least a dozen people while working as a nurse, dosing her elderly patients with opium to see how they'd react. She would slowly up their opium doses until they would die of an overdose. It was to one patient's horror that what she thought was just some fever dream was a real experience when Jolly Jane's activities were released to the public. In 1887, one patient, Amila Amelia Finney had an operation. After the operation, Nurse Jane gave her some medicine that tasted really bitter. She began to lose consciousness right around the time that Jane climbed into bed with her and kissed her all over her face. When she woke up the next morning, she thought that it was just all some kind of fever dream until years later, it was found out that this was exactly Jane's MO when operating with her victims. Jane had negative feelings, to say the least, about elderly patients. She ultimately thought that older people were useless and not worth keeping alive. In school, her colleagues remembered her saying that ultimately, quote, there was no point in keeping them alive. Sometimes she would dose her older patients and then nurse them back to health as a, quote, miraculous recovery. One example that's given is that Jane became friends with one of her landlords and his wife, but she began to kill them when they got, in her words, old, cranky, feeble, and fussy. They died one after the other, soon after inviting Jane to help nurse them back to health. She ended up getting a job at Massachusetts General Hospital, but ultimately lost it because she gave out opiates too recklessly. Despite this, or maybe, hey, even because of it, doctors recommended her as a private nurse to many of their wealthy clients. In 1889, a position became open as a dining hall matron at St. John's Theological School in Cambridge. She and a close friend of hers were both vying for the position. And instead of just waiting to see which person the school preferred, Jane decided to take things into her own hands by dosing her friend with strychnine so that she would be the only candidate. Turns out this job didn't last either. Things tended to go missing whenever Jane was around and they ended up firing her because of her thieving habits, despite her overall charismatic demeanor. Now, it seems that 1889 was a busy year for Jane. Her foster sister, Elizabeth Toppin Brigham, would oftentimes invite Jane to come and visit and stay with her and her family in the house they grew up in. Now, Jane was on vacation to a place called Buzzards Bay with Elizabeth when she decided her foster sister would make a nice victim. Elizabeth had been feeling depressed lately and Jane invited her down to the beach for a picnic lunch. For this lunch, Jane packed cold corned beef, taffy, and mineral water laced with strychnine. After consuming the food, Elizabeth soon began seizing. And of her death, Jane says, I held her in my arms and watched with delight as she gasped her life out. Now, the Brigham family was in mourning, and Jane stayed with them, ostensibly because she wanted to help her brother-in-law and his grieving family. But in reality, Jane had viewed Elizabeth as an obstacle in the way of the man that she wanted to marry, her now widowed husband, Oramel Brigham. Soon after moving in, Brigham's 77-year-old housekeeper died of mysterious circumstances, and Jane took over as the housekeeper. She was trying to impress Oramel, but he soon made it clear that he did not want her in the house, no matter what position she was trying to claim. Then, Oramel became sick completely out of the blue. And even though we know now that it's obvious Jane was the one to dose him with some kind of poison, back then people thought that Jane was just staying to take care of her sick brother-in-law 
now that he'd been widowed from his wife, out of the goodness of her heart. When nursing him back to health didn't make Oromo love Jane the way she wanted him to, she went straight to threats. She threatened to claim that he'd gotten her pregnant, which would cause a huge scandal, which would lead to a huge scandal that, you can guess, was just not done back then. But this backfired on Jane when Oromol threw her out of the house. With nowhere else to go, Jane tried to kill herself by ODing on morphine, but instead was rushed to the hospital. When she was released, she went to live with a friend of hers who lived with her brother in New Hampshire. Weirdly enough, while she was staying with them, both her friend and her friend's brother became sick, and Jane nursed them both back to health. Wow, it really seems that it was just so lucky that they got sick, while Jane, who was this certified nurse, was staying with them and was able to take care of them. What a weird coincidence. But the case that would ultimately lead to Jane's eventual capture would be the murders of the Davis family. At one point, she'd rented a cottage from a family named Davis, but she hadn't paid rent on the cottage and it was overdue. Maddie Davis, the wife of the homeowner, came to collect the rent from Jane one day while she was back in Cambridge, but Jane ended up killing her with a mix of atropine and morphine. She then went to stay with the elderly Alden Davis and work for him as a nurse after his wife's sudden death. In taking care of him, she killed him and his two married daughters, Minnie and Geraldine. Now, Minnie's father-in-law had his doubts about the sudden death of an entirely seemingly healthy family, as well as the fact that they all happened so close to each other. He got a judge to order for Minnie's body to be exhumed, and a toxicologist took a look. They found that Minnie and the others had died not from sudden and mysterious circumstances, but instead from a mix of morphine and atropine poisoning. In 1901, a state detective was following Jane. After the bodies of those she'd cared for were exhumed and their sudden deaths were instead attributed to long-term poisoning, she was arrested and went to trial for murder in 1902. To her lawyer, Jane confessed that she'd killed at least 30 people, maybe more, as she'd never really bothered to keep track. Today, people actually estimate that she killed between 30 and 100 people since those deaths that happened while she was working as a nurse in a hospital could never be confirmed as being purposeful on her part or as being just accidental deaths that happened in the hospital. Her reason for murder, well, her boyfriend when she was 16 dumped her and after that, everything was just fair game. She says, quote, if I had been a married woman, I probably would not have killed all of those people. I would have had my husband, my children, and my home to take up my mind. Also, it makes it hard to believe because on one hand, she's saying that this heartbreak from when she was 16 years old caused her to turn into this murdering nurse that she was. And then on the other hand, she says that it was at one point a goal for her to kill as many helpless people as possible. So really, you just kind of have no idea which was true. And not that it matters, but just it's really interesting to see the insides and the depths of the psyche of people who do these mass murderings like this. Her trial took around eight hours and the jury initially found her not guilty. But when she confessed to her lawyer that she had indeed killed at least 30 people and maybe more, and not only killed them, but enjoyed climbing into bed with them as they died, another trial was immediately scheduled and she was found guilty by reason of insanity after the jury had deliberated for 27 minutes. She was sentenced to life in an asylum 
and when she first arrived, she was initially afraid to eat or drink anything there, thinking that the doctors wouldn't hesitate in giving her a dose of her own medicine and poison her if they got the chance, which really is kind of the highest karmic retribution that you could think of. This woman who poisoned others by, you know, lacing their food and drink with morphine and atrophine and other medicines who ends up dying due to the doctors at her hospital doing the same thing. That would be like the highest level of karmic retribution. But that's not how the story goes. Now, many attendants remember her as a sweet old woman who would call them into her room and smile while saying, get some morphine, dearie, and we'll go out into the ward. You and I will have a lot of fun seeing them die. Jane Toppin remained in the asylum until 1983, when she died at the age of 81. And that is the story of Jolly Jane Toppin, the nurse who killed her victims and enjoyed climbing into bed with them as they died. Now, I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and if there's anything that I left out or anything else that you all know about Jane Toppin that you think that maybe I should talk about or cover in the next episode, let me know. Reach out to me at Frumious Reads. You can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, basically all of the social medias. If you want to follow the podcast, you can listen to us on Libsyn, Podbreed, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, basically anywhere that podcasts can be downloaded you can find A Murderous Affair. If you want to subscribe to the podcast homepage or follow us on the podcast homepage, you can follow us on frumiusreads.com forward slash a dash murderous dash affair. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you thought of it and I will talk to you guys next week. Stay spooky, friends. Bye.